Hi, you're listening to Brussels Inside Out, a podcast by the Global Shapers Brussels Hub. In this first season, we bring you stories that highlight the work of different individuals and organizations in creating a social impact in the city of Brussels. What is being done? What are the divisions and inequalities targeted? What else can be done? This episode is the second part of the conversation with Mauro Striano, Chargé de Mission at BrossHelp. Together with Host Tommaso, Mara discusses the effects of the spring lockdown on rough sleepers, as well as the potential solutions to homelessness and rough sleeping in Brussels. Keep listening to find out more, and for more information, check the description of the episode. Enjoy! <laughs> data from 2020 on rough sleeping in Brussels is not available yet. But what we have been reading in, uh, in the papers and hearing in the media is that uh, the lockdown in the spring was particularly hard for those people who could not afford to stay at home, uh, be this, you know, the, 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 the riders who went outside and delivered of food and were at risk of, uh, you know, catching the disease by having contact with uh, with people, or more importantly, for for us sleepers, uh, mm. who we know were, correct me if I'm wrong, statistically more likely to catch the disease and less likely to receive um, health assistance. What what can you tell us of? Um, how the lockdown in back in the spring, because I suppose it's too early yet to assess the second lockdown in the autumn and mm -hmm. winter, how did it affect uh, rough sleepers? How did they get through the lockdown? I think the first problem like the in for people sleeping rough was they, they weren't able, there was a moment in which they weren't able to find food, even food. I mean, generally, if you are sleeping rough in Brussels, you can, I mean, you can find food. There are several day centers um, where you can go and spend a few hours, maybe taking a shower, having something to eat, things like that. So the beginning of the lockdown, this, the day centers closed down. So that means the people were on their own. Uh, they were like normally were uh, the, the outreach workers also. I mean, there was this moment at the beginning in which outreach workers, social workers in general, didn't have like the material, the safety material. So there was a lot of stress. So there were several services in the beginning that um, that were like not functioning. You also have to consider like there are day centers, like there's one day center called La Fontaine close to Port Deal, and it's basically run by volunteers. And these volunteers are aged people. So like average age, it's easily 70 years old. So that means that was like really like a population at risk. So the, the center couldn't, I mean, they used to have like 50 people every day there in the morning, taking a shower, uh, doing laundry, having something to eat, et cetera, and taking some clothes and things like that. So that was like, couldn't run. So this was the first I think this was the main problem for people sleeping rough. So they didn't have any place where to go. Even those who normally sleep outside, at least they have a place where to stay during the day in general. So that was like the main problem, I think. Then 
after that, like there was like the, the intents of public uh, authorities, there was there were funds that, that helped uh, opening new uh, services. There was a day center uh, run by Médecins du Monde, Doctors of the World, in the in a youth hostel, the um, Centre Jacques Brel, close to Botanique. There were confinement centers for those people sleeping rough, but also people uh, residing in emergency shelters or homeless houses where if they had symptoms, in the beginning, there were no tests. Also, right? So if they had symptoms, they could go there and be in quarantine. Um, and then um, there were like several hotels which were used. Beginning of June, I prepared a small report about a small uh, yeah, a small report about the use of uh, home hotel rooms. There were around 800 people in uh, uh, accommodating in hotel rooms. Uh, most of them were rough sleepers. There were also people who were in emergency because you also have to consider that the big shelters where you have many people, of course, they had to change their way of uh, functioning. They couldn't have so many people in the same place. Like there's a, a night shelter called Pierre d'Angle, where you have just two big rooms where, with 20 people for each room. Uh, that had to change, I mean, in terms of, uh, in order to have the safety measures uh, implemented. So there were all these kind of modifications that, of course, had an impact on, uh, of, on people sleeping rough, but not only. And I think when, when you say, like, rough sleepers were are the ones um, in a more risky situation. In the beginning, it's what we thought, but in reality, I think it's especially those who were like in big shelters, like where there, were, there was a lot of promiscuity and that was like the main problem um, It was for them. And when there were the tests, in the end, like the homeless population wasn't that affected. I mean, it wasn't much more affected than the rest of the population. Also because you, there's something sad to say, when you're homeless, your life expectancy is lower than the rest of the population, which means that since it was especially, it's especially people who are aged at risk, well, unfortunately, homeless people cannot even get there. So to that age, to be at a risk, at risk like the others. But anyway, so in terms of testing, they didn't really show like a big um, impact on the homeless population. There were like a few shelters in which there was a high uh, number of people contaminated and that was because of the promiscuity, but most of them without symptoms. And that's also quite interesting to say. I mean, it's... Uh... Well, it's actually very, very interesting what you said about, um, interesting and quite frankly sad that, uh, you know, the, the rough sleepers didn't reach of the same life expectancy as uh, non-rough sleepers anyway. And so that mm. somehow paradoxically, the pandemic didn't affect them that much. I was wondering, because we often read, you know, that um, pandemic not only has and has had uh, health implications for people, but also uh, a grave impact on our psychosocial stress and the way in which we live every day uh, has been affected from a psychological point of view. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of psychological damage in the wider population. 
do we know anything about uh, these kinds of impacts within the, uh, the, 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 the rough sleeping community, if you can call it this, in Brussels? No, I don't have data about that in terms of like effects on the... I don't know to which extent like people sleeping rough were affected by... Um, because their way of living didn't change that much in a way. I think it's already so stressful to live outside. I mean, it's in terms of uh, mental health problems and substance abuse problems. I mean, rough sleeping is really probably one of the worst things you can experience, I think, especially if it's prolonged over the years or over the months, over the years. Um, so I don't know to which extent, like, this situation, the COVID uh, pandemic, had an impact on, on people sleeping rough. But I don't have data to say that. So this is just my, you know, some reflection that I can have about the, the issue. I don't know to which extent it can really have an impact on the, in terms of um, mental health on on people already sleeping rough. So I don't know. And. Uh... Can you do you know anything about um, the um, the long term uh, social policy agenda of uh, the Brussels administration or the Belgian uh, federal mm. government to address uh, the issues of uh, link to rough sleeping beyond the pandemic? I mean, in the longer mm. term, what what are the prospects of this rising challenge, as you rightly put it, uh, to but be the, the tackled? The new the Alain Marron, who is the Minister for Health and Homelessness, uh, among other things, who was who, who started his function as minister in at the end of 2019, September 2019, if I'm not mistaken. So he already had quite uh, um, uh, a strong um, uh, commitment with regard to to shift into a long-term strategy on homelessness. So this was one of uh, his promises. And he, uh, he, after a few months, there was the start of the pandemic. So to a certain extent, I think, and also when I look at other European countries or the cities, European cities, even at the European Commission, I think that there was for the first time this this idea of having like a European strategy on homelessness, it will be called European platform on homelessness or something like that. So there is a sort of acknowledgement of the issue, which I think was a bit pushed for the uh, pushed forward by the uh, the 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 pandemic to a certain. Or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's not the main reason, maybe there was already some kind of commitment, but this, I mean, to get back to the Brussels region, that was already there. I mean, the commitment of doing something on homelessness, it was there. And the pandemic, in a way or another, I think, I'm not sure, but it increased the funding that could be used for that. So there is a commitment, especially to use like housing first programs. For 2021, there's almost almost 6 million euros to be used to find housing solution for homeless people. So the budgets on uh, um, allocated to homelessness has never been that high in the past, like uh, had never been that high. 
so th there's like a, a commitment and there are resources that are that are mm, uh, that are allocated but then of course i mean i can know <laughs> what the results will be to to be honest i can say that like back in june since we had like the there are there still are like few hundreds of people in hotel rooms the the idea was let's find housing solution uh temporary or long-term housing solution for those who are in the hotels and other emergency emergency structures i was in charge of, of finding housing solution and to be honest i mean it was quite difficult to find uh, enough uh places where people could be could be housed also because in terms i mean there was like the um municipalities and the cps were asked to find places but it, i mean it was quite hard to find i mean it needs time of course i mean you cannot do that like in an emergency mode so in the end there are still hundreds of people in hotels um and the kind of solution that were found they are more temporary, more precarious than stable. So that's the problem. And, and I think it, it links up to the, the first question you asked about the, uh, the existence of uh, affordable housing solutions. That's the main problem. And since there is lack of uh, affordable, affordable housing, it's also difficult to find solutions in the short term. If there's an engagement, a commitment, a political commitment that lasts over the years, and goes beyond like uh, the actual, the current minister. I mean, an in commitment over the, la the next 10, 15 years, that would probably give some, some results. Five years, I think it's not enough to, to, to really achieve, um, to achieve the end of homelessness, which is of course very far from being uh, a real uh, objective for the next five years. It's probably not an objective to take into account. I would like to conclude the interview with uh, a question that somehow closes the circle that we opened uh, with our conversation on um, the housing issue. As you, as you put it, is the, the, the key question to tackle uh, to solve the, the other challenges linked to rough sleeping. So I, I would like to ask you, what are the, the best practices, not necessarily in Brussels or Belgium, but in, in the world, that you think um, work best in, uh, in, uh, in addressing the challenges linked to rough sleeping. For instance, I've been reading a lot about this housing first approach that mm. I think they trialed in Finland and maybe somewhere else, by which they, they, they first of all give a house to rough sleepers, and then they start dealing with all the other issues such as, you know, um, drug so, addiction, yeah. uh, drinking, mental mm -hmm. health problems that they most certainly have after having lived on the streets for many years. Do you think that's a, that's a good approach or what are other good policies? I think housing first is a good approach, but it's one of the solutions. Um, so housing first was first created by Sons and Berries in New York. Then it was like um, Finland is known for being the country that... Um, as the, the the best results in terms of uh, using housing first programs in order to end uh, rough sleeping, 
because now, I mean, there are just, I don't know how many people are sleeping rough in Finland, but probably less than 100. I mean, it's quite a limited number, which decreased over the years. It is a good approach. And Brussels is already implementing, has already been implementing uh, housing first programs for maybe six years now, starting in 2014, if I'm not mistaken, or even earlier than that. But anyway, it's a few years. Uh, and there are, I don't know, maybe 300 people in Housing First programs at the moment. So Housing First is is a good approach. It works, I mean, it's for certain kind of profiles. It's for people who, are, who have like high, uh, a high level of needs in terms of uh, maybe helping with mental health problems or substance abuse, who've been sleeping who are long-term homelessness, so uh, long-term homeless, uh, who've been sleeping on the street for several years. So there are several conditions to to fulfill in order to get into the Housing First programs. Now the point is, are the more than 4,000 people who are homeless in Brussels within that uh, kind of profile? I think no, a few hundreds of them are maybe in that situation, not all. And especially the point is also that Housing First programs is for people who are regularly residing. And when you look at the Brussels population, especially the, the, the as I say this, people who are sleeping rough, I'm, I don't have the precise data, but I think easily more than 50% are people who are irregularly residing. So who wouldn't have access to, to that kind of, of program. So Housing First, of course, is a great solution, but for a city as Brussels, I don't know if it will solve the problem, but it doesn't mean that you don't have to implement that. And it's, yeah, it's, of course, it's the, the, it's the good, I mean, it's the good way of solving homelessness, as you explained, is the idea that you don't have any time to fulfill certain conditions to get to the next step. So you need to uh, fulfill certain conditions to get in a homeless uh, shelter. Then you have to fulfill certain conditions to get medical treatment or um, mental health uh, um, support um, services and things like that. And then at the end of a long trajectory, you get to housing. No, I mean, you get housing as a first thing. And then once you're there, you get the support that you need and having a place where to stay is of course very important for for many reasons and helps uh dealing with other problems um so housing first is good but uh i'm a bit skeptical about the fact that housing first would solve homelessness in brussels i think it's not the case um but yeah i'm just you know, on the same thing but it's a good approach other good approaches, I still don't know. I think one of the, the things really to, to put in, to, to take into account is really like um, uh, trying to, to um, get easier access to social rights for people who, especially for migrants, I think is one of the, the good approaches. There are countries in which it's also European money that has been used to, um, um, to um, to support mobile citizens who are homeless, for instance. I mean, there are bits and pieces from, but what's important, I think I won't, won't the, 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 otherwise I lose the, the track of my thoughts. And I was a bit related to the question you asked me before. 
is that you need, and that was the case for Finland, you need a politic, uh, policy commitment for a long term, for a long term. It's not just a question of five years, a mandate of five years, and then the next minister will do other things. What was important in Finland, it was really that there was like a, a, a consensus among political parties to do something on homelessness. And whatever government you have, this promise will, will keep stay there. And after 15 years, 10, 15 years, you start seeing some results. Thank you, Mauro. And to conclude, is there anything that you believe people who might want to get involved in, for instance, these volunteering centers that you mentioned before, uh, could do to uh, to act upon this uh, this issue because of course government inter- intervention is uh, instrumental and a long term government strategy is crucial but, uh, but sometimes I suppose uh, ordinary people uh, can also uh, chip in and uh, and help somehow. Um, well, volunteering is a good thing. Um, st- <laughs> Try not to to make housing prices increase, <laughs> especially when you work at the commission. Maybe there are ways you can avoid that. Rent out your apartments if you have more than one for a cheap price. Use maybe like social rental agency to um, to do that. And um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that I I. I respect and appreciate the the work that each of us as private citizens can do to help out. I volunteer, I do things as well as a private citizen, but I think that really the the problems are solved at a structural level and you need really like political commitment. It's the citizen can help, of course, and it's good, like in terms of public opinion, also to raise the issue, all these kinds of things are great, but I really believe in the structural uh, solutions. Well, thank you very much then for your insights on this. Thank you Mauro. for inviting me. That's all we have for today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Brussels Inside Out. For more information on the subjects and other things mentioned, check the description box. If you like this episode, please subscribe and share with a friend or two. See you next time. Thank you.